Well, I hope you got your fill of turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes yesterday because we've now officially entered the holiday seasons. We are falling asleep with all that turkey going through us, but the White Sox better wake up because their window of opportunity may be closing. Nick Morawski of Locked On White Sox. Why did I almost say Diamondbacks? <laughs> Is here. Oh, boy. I'm stuffed. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Lockdown MLB, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Hey, I got a lower third. You can call me Sully. I'm an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been a baseball podcaster for the last decade and for the last four full seasons. I've been here at the Lockdown Podcast Network. You can follow us at Lockdown MLB Pods. On Twitter and on Instagram, be sure to tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On MLB or check out some of the other great shows on the Locked On Podcast Network like Locked On White Sox. Why did I bring up that one? We'll find out soon enough. Hey, you can follow me on Twitter until it explodes at Sully Baseball and at Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Well, uh, I'm a, I was about to go into a bet online read because I had a surefire bet going into this last year was that the Chicago White Sox were going to repeat as American League Central champions. They seemed to have everything. And the one thing they didn't have was an additional nine wins or so, or additional 11 wins, because they finished behind the Cleveland Guardians in what can only be described as an absolutely surreal and bizarre season. And we're going to go into the 2023 season with a window of opportunity that is still there, but maybe not as wide open as it looked like just a year ago. But hey, if we're going to talk White Sox, we need a couple of things. We need someone who knows the White Sox, who dresses like the White Sox, who gets his apartment furnished like the White Sox, and grew a mustache like a White Sox fan does. And do you know what? That Venn diagram gives us, ladies and gentlemen, who not my internet problem again? Nick Morowski of Locked On White Sox. How are hey. you doing, buddy? How are you? Sully, uh, I'm doing great. You know, this is a perfect time, you know, when everybody's groggy uh, after a Thanksgiving meal. They're sleepy yeah. to talk about a team that pretty much was half asleep uh, this oh, yeah. past season. Yeah. By the way, you're, you're growing your beard out a little. Because for most of the, when we first did it, you were just purely, you know, you got you purely sort of 70s cop show. Yeah. Uh, mustache, but you're growing the beard, so you're looking more. You look more like Chris Sale, which I, yeah, hope I will. You, I hope oh. you like that shirt. So if you do, keep the scissors yeah. away from you. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm the mustache will be back. I had to, I had to just shave. I did absolutely shave because that mustache uh, saw so much bad baseball. Uh, I needed to start fresh. I hear absolutely I hear. clean slate. I grew my first mustache at age 15. There complete mustache and we just moved to california and everyone assumed i was a teacher yeah. um i we by the way I just this is not locked on mustache but i will tell you that um <laughs> i in in 1987 your pal sully was 15 years old 
We just moved from Massachusetts to California, and I grew a mustache for two reasons. Um, I thought the two coolest looking people with mustaches were Elliot Gould from the movie MASH, not the TV show MASH, but the movie MASH. He had an amazing mustache. Well, who are we kidding? It was the mid-80s and Tom Selleck. And Magnum was the absolute SHIT at the time. Yeah, He was the coolest guy on television, the best-looking dude, the coolest dude. The show was the coolest show. He's in his Ferrari, a Hawaiian. I would wear Hawaiian shirts, and I grew a mustache hoping to look like Tom Selleck. And I realized there was more to him than a mm. Hawaiian shirt and a mustache because I look like the guy in the Chef Boyardee can wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Did you go and get the uh, Detroit <clears throat> Tigers hat as well? Did I actually did have a Tiger. Hat? Yeah, I there mainly wore the Red Sox hat. It was because, okay. of, you know, because especially sure. since we had just moved to California. Yeah. And this was before, by the way, this was in um, 87. This was before the Red Sox were like a national followed team it was still like you wore a red sock hat if you bumped into someone in a red sock hat you're like where are you from and they'll say like yeah. rhode, I- you know, rhode island well there was probably a cheers reference then to you right oh absolutely because, yeah 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 though yeah. cheers was it's funny i didn't like we were we're binging cheers with my kids and we're we're at the finale right now we started from one to the end it holds up incredibly well mm. even though seasons Nine, uh, nine, and ten were were pretty were pretty weak, but the, they they came strong with a great final season. But yeah, I, I got more into Cheers after we left Boston. But um, but yeah, it was uh, I got a lot of Sam Malone references, which is I'm sure. Yeah. So I, you know, if I just got a Steve, I won. I got that reference of the three men and a baby. It was Selleck, <laughs> Danson, and Gutenberg. So no one equated me with Gutenberg. I promise. When you and I were talking before we hit record. I was going to make my pop culture references uh, current. Yeah, so let's did. go to the, the 1988 <laughs> comedy, Three Men and a Baby. Right. Uh, and yeah. by the way, okay, uh, you get this right. Uh, I'll, I'll, without looking up, get this right. I'll, ma- I'll mail you $10. Okay. What TV legend, as in played a character on television that everybody on the planet Earth knows? The actor who played a TV character, legendary TV character, directed the movie Three Men and a Baby. Oh boy! Um, uh, TV actor. Oh. Yep, everyone knows him. Oh man, uh, I'm ha- I have to go to that decade, that era. Um, I I don't. I would throw out someone like Kelsey Grammer. Okay, it's a he wasn't a TV star of the '80s. He was a TV star That's of an true. earlier time. But here, but what? Wh- and everyone I've th- thrown that uh, question to, they say Ron Howard, and said, "Nope, nope, not Ron Howard. Leonard Nimoy, Mister Spock. Get out of here! Really? Three men and a baby. You can look wow. it up. You can look it up. We're seven. We are seven minutes into this episode, and we've not said one word about the 2022 White Sox. And, and, and that's great. Apt. That's perfect. Yeah, that yeah, might be apt. absolutely perfect. By the way, a strong mustache game for Dylan Cease as well, uh, Cy Young finalist, who was one of the bright spots of this season. There were some bright spots to this season. Um, but let's face it, this was a team that was expected to be pretty much a – everyone was picking to win the division, and with a bounce here or bounce there, could be a pennant contender. They finished the season even 500. And 
again, I, 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 my favorite podcast is never not funny. And I quoted a lot. And Jimmy Pardo, the host of the show is a rabid White Sox fan. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned when the Phillies were in the world series, he said the Phillies did what the White Sox should have done. Absolutely. Which was they let go their high profile manager and the team clicked and the White Sox should have seen early on that the LaRusse experiment was a failure. And whether it's Miguel Cairo or whomever, they just should have cut bait and they probably would have made a run at it. Yeah. Uh, and even before that, how you know, the Phillies owner Middleton, I believe, is is the Phillies owner. And just the things he has said over the, the you know, the last several years, just look, I have all the money I need. I want championships and yeah. thus bringing in Bryce Harper and Sox had Bryce Harper in their you know, stadium had them in their conference room, talked to him uh, during the off season of 2018, 2019. And the stuff that Harper has said that has come out about his meeting with Kenny Williams and the White Sox about, I don't know what went wrong. It seemed like a great fit. Jose Abreu was going to hit behind me. I love the South side vibes. And of course, you know, Reinsdorf does not want to ever make those types of contract deals. And the Phillies have. They've spent a ton of money and, and brought in guys like Castellanos and Schwarber, guys that were attached Wheeler? to the White exactly. Sox. Wheeler, exactly. you know, yeah. guys that were attached to the White Sox in previous uh, off seasons. And, you know, good for the Phillies. Uh, you know, Pardo, 100% right. And in this past season, Phillies let go of Girardi and you know a lot of Sox fans were looking around at each other like oh that's allowed you can let go of a manager manager that's underperforming and and you see what happened with them yeah and look at if you listen to the Thanksgiving show uh I talked the the one that dropped yesterday I talked about let's take the stigma away from buying championships because that's the owner's job is to buy a championship and that doesn't necessarily mean rating other teams that could mean keeping your players, whether it's a Betts or a Devers or Jose Abreu, who's now a free agent and is floating around. And let's do, what was the big team that I talked about last yesterday's show about explaining what happens when you go buy a championship? I talked about the Phillies. I also talked about the Padres. Cry me a river, small market teams. How can you be smaller than San Diego? Yeah. And they're, and, and they're now, they're kicking the tires on Abreu, after bringing in both Machado, Machado, God, I, I just sound like a New Englander there, bringing in Machado and bringing in Juan Soto. And by the way, Machado was also connected to the White Sox in that offseason, the one where I thought they were about to announce the signing of him. Yeah, that 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 was, again, uh, Machado's camp uh, told everybody that offseason how it was going to go. Th- this is what Manny Machado wanted to sign for. This was the, the years. This was the money, not incentive-based, but the guaranteed money. And the mm-hmm. Sox went their route. Jerry Reinsdorf wanted to sign him on his terms. And maybe, yeah. you know, if Manny Machado came to the White Sox, he might have made more money if he hit certain numbers because it was incentive-laced. But that's not what the Machado camp wanted. And Reinsdorf tried to play it his way. How That's how he always does it. And, and we lost out on that, you know. And that's what is just so sickening. I mean, the White Sox are one of the few teams in all of baseball that have never given out a, a contract or an extension of $100 million. So, and you have you know, to do that, folks. You have to do yeah. that. And oh, yeah. And you, 
And every team has money. Every owner is loaded. This is, I guess, this is the thread for the for this entire week of shows I've done. But buying a championship, I'm sorry, that's part of the ownership's job. It's the job of the general manager is to put together the best team. The job of the manager is to take those players and manage them, manage, not just manage the strategy, but manage the personalities and manage the egos. But it's the job of the owner is to give the general manager the opportunity to put the best product on the field. And that means, is like you were saying, the, the, was with, uh, uh, the Philadelphia owner saying, hey, I've, I've earned my money. Let's, let's have some fun. I mean, the, you, don't, you buy a baseball team or a hockey team or a football team or basketball, whatever team you're getting, you're buying not because you think, oh, my uh, accountant said it would be a very good investment for me to invest in the San Diego Padres. You do it because you're a bit of an egotist. Yeah, you're a bit of an egotist, and you want to be the you want to be the Bob Kraft or whomever it is showing. Hey, look at this! Hey, we've never won before. I showed up, and now we just keep on winning. Yeah, it, it, Ryan Stewart, Jerry Reinsdorf has an absolute ego, but he doesn't operate that that way of at all. You know, he he, you know, Michael Jordan fell into his lap, and uh, they had six championships in the nineties. Uh, the two. 2005 White Sox team, that was a fluke. No one predicted that team to win, and they didn't even make the playoffs the next year. Uh, So, you know, when this rebuild uh, happened, when you talked about sale earlier in the episode, we're we're about to be approaching on the six-year anniversary that the White Sox traded Chris Sale to ball for uh, essentially Kopech and, um, you know, on Mankata. which we really still don't know what those two guys can actually do for the Sox. Um, and the Sox have one division title, uh, one playoff berth, and two playoff wins, not series, wins to show for it uh, since the fall of 2016. <laughs> you know, there hasn't yeah. been that – there hasn't been that that premier talent brought in. You know, like it's, it's again, trying to capture lightning instead of bringing the thunder. And, you know, like we're going to try to – you know, the Johnny Cueto move, which, you know, worked out and was fun. Yeah, fun, it was but fun. It's like, it's like repurposed different players and you know go dumpster diving on other teams uh, players that they not tendered i'm sure that's what the Sox are going to do this offseason and you know take a flyer on this guy and maybe move a guy out of position to kind of fill a need and it, it, instead of going absolutely after it uh and you know Abreu, who's going to walk he won't come back with the white Sox, and whether it's San that's a, that's Diego a or that's a it, shame. It, it's, it really it's a, is shame it really is a shame um but you know if jerry wanted to get him a world series at least appearance riser would have opened up his wallet and absolutely spent to surround him with the type of guys you know i've got got this guy jose abreu he needs help i need some guys offensively and i need some premier pitching and you know that didn't happen they they drafted andrew vaughn third overall in 2019 and i think abreu saw that he signed his his extension in 2019, but he saw kind of, I think, where the franchise was going. And I don't blame Abreu for leaving right now. It's like, I, I want to win, and you clearly are not, not headed in that direction right now. Well, look, at, if he's looking around, he's probably looking for a surefire bet to win the pennant. Oh, yeah. And I think the Padres are a much better bet to win the pennant than the White Sox are now. And if you're going to make any bets, go to Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your sports betting info, news, and stats and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends from every professional and amateur league out there. 
from football to basketball to soccer, the World Cup, eSports, got it all at betonline.net. If you love sports podcasts, I know I do. You can find those at BetOnline as well, where they've got the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix fixed. Is that what the copy says? No. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline is where the game starts. By the way, I don't know if you saw it, but they they tell us the the tune we're supposed to sing at that point. So oh, just yeah. make sure make sure you're in tune. Here's the weirdest part about the White Sox, and 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 mind you, I I've had I've had I've done Twins, Guardians, and White Sox podcasts down the stretch. I have no ill will towards any one of those three teams. I'm completely um, neutral because I have I have a sauce in my heart for Cleveland. I want the longest World Series drought. Terry Francona's my man. Uh, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for the White Sox. I've always felt they're the forgotten team of Chicago. Uh, and they've had some of my favorite players. You know, Frank Thomas was one of my favorite players. You know, Jack McDowell, when he pitched, was one of my favorite players. And, you know, Eight Men Out is one of my favorite baseball movies. And the Minnesota Twins, even though they just changed their uniforms to something god-awful, um, they – I. I want them to have the the finale of this was the team that was about to be contracted winning a World Series title. Um, so what I was hoping for down the stretch was three teams battling it out and you don't know who's going to win. And it sure looked like it was going to be that as Minnesota tied Cleveland uh, just the day before Labor Day. And lest we forget... With all the craziness that happened with the White Sox and all this and all that, they got to within a game and a half of first place on September 10th, mid-September. They were a game and a half out of first place. Yeah, and then, uh, mm. boom. Uh, yeah, they, they had a late series against uh, Cleveland at home, mind you. And if they would have swept Cleveland, they would have held the tiebreaker and they would have been in a great spot with, uh, oh, a couple, two and a half, half weeks to play something like that, and they they lost. It was a heartbreaker. Game one, one in extras. They lost that, and then they just completely collapsed. You could feel it. I yeah. went to several of those games that series. You could just feel it. They weren't in the game. They knew it. They knew what was going on, and it really goes back to the urgency at the beginning of the season. Uh, I'm reading a, a fascinating book on the 1959 Chicago White Sox called Go Straight Go Down Sox. the Middle. Go-Go Sox, that team, of course, won the pennant, uh, lost to the Dodgers in the World Series. Uh, and there's a part in the book that talks about in 58, the year before, uh, manager Al Lopez was like, you know what? I think what went wrong is we did not have urgency at the beginning of the season. The, the tone was not set early on. Those games matter just as much as late September. And in 1959, there was a different approach. And sure. Sure enough, you know, they, they have, every team's going to have some losses and some injuries, but, you know, they, they had a different mindset from the beginning in 1959, and, and it paid off, uh, especially through the dog days of summer. It's amazing what, how the, that's a, uh, that that's kind of a novel approach. I mean, I've been saying, like, every team's going to lose, you know, even the best teams lose, like, 55 games. Yeah, you know, like if you win 100 some odd games, no one wins 162 games and no one loses 162 games. 
every team's going to have the games that are like, all right, like when you lose nine nothing or eleven to one, you don't walk out like, God, we had it in our hands. No, you got you get you got creamed. It's and and you are going to lose the occasional three to two pitchers duel, where just sometimes you just shake your head and you go like, what are we going to do? That guy was just on fire. There's nothing you could do about it. You just try to avoid the dumb losses. Try to avoid losses when you're like, oh, man, we really blew that one. What I call the teeth grinder loss. I go, how could we just – if you avoid those losses or at least – or if you – I wish there was – I tried to do it one year where I tried to to quantify the losses for the Red Sox based on teeth grinder or dodge bullet. Mm. Like, oh, man, we dodged a bullet with that game. And how could we lose that? Try to keep it like plus minus. Keep that plus. You know, yeah, win the, more of those than you lose. I, I would say the teeth grinders sometimes they happen before the ga- before the first pitch because you look at the lineup and some of the lineups that Larusa <laughs> was throwing out early uh, this past season. You had Leury Garcia, who's uh, basically a utility guy, leading off. There were players that were just not set up for success, and it felt like. This thing that happens in the NBA and, and, you know, workload management of we are going to rest guys for the long haul. And going back to that reference I had with the book, you know, Al Lopez in 1959 was like, we are not going to rest. You know, we are going to, you know, build up the muscle early on and we are Mm -hmm. going to win those teeth grinder games instead of losing them to accumulate wins. So we have stockpiled some wins when we do face adversity, you know, later in the season, because it's happening to everybody where you just go through some, you know, some tough patches. So, you know, I I don't the new manager, you know, Pedro Grafol, he's he is uh, a first time major league manager. He's the 42nd manager in White Sox history and. He's an interesting choice, in my opinion, but he has a philosophy of, you know, you're not going to win a pennant in the spring, but you could lose a pennant, and we're going to set the tone early. Well, look at what happened in the National League. Who was in the World Series in the National League? Philadelphia. Milwaukee was fishing during the wild card round. They were one game behind Philadelphia. They didn't even, in an expanded playoff, they didn't even make it. And the team that was one game ahead of them played in the World Series. Now, just think about, when you think about like a game here or a game there, you know, what that would have meant. What that would have meant if Milwaukee with, you know, going into a short series, I would have had more faith in Milwaukee than Philadelphia. Yeah. You know, some of their good pitching come through. And yep. you take a look at a team like, like I mean, how many months are there in the season? You got April, six. May, June, six. Okay, six months. Oh, you, you, you know it better than me. <laughs> Just imagine, imagine if you take six wins, one more win a month, this team, okay, this team would be an 87-win team, okay? Yeah. Which, again, may not punching the dance will get you a lot closer get you a little much closer place and maybe when they got swept by cleveland in the in mid uh, uh mid-september they yeah. also got swept by detroit right mm-hmm. after that i was a yeah. seven or eight game losing streak i'm, I'm doing I, I remember they got swept by the tigers afterwards because it just as i said they went from i think we're gonna win the pennant to full 
Sonny Corleone in the toll booth. Yes, another up to date cultural reference. <laughs> yeah, but, it was a it was a complete collapse, and yeah, you know you're 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 saying all the right things. Uh, that mindset of we have to these are these are must win games right now. Those those will still happen if you set the tone early. But if there would have been a different approach early on uh, and some urgency in the sacks, I believe I firmly believe. And I don't know what's going to happen with Miguel Cairo, who was the you know the interim manager when Larusa went on a health leave. I don't know if he can even manage or what he'll what his future baseball life looks like. But the team definitely responded uh, in a different way when he took over. And if that change would have happened earlier, uh, hey, what, what's the worst that could have happened? Well, look what happened with Philadelphia when they let go of Joe Girardi. Yeah. You know, you, Joe Girardi, a wonderful manager. I actually liked that signing when they did it. You know, won the manager of the year with a, the Marlins team whose budget was only slightly higher than the Lockdown Podcast Network <laughs> and got kept them contending into September, won a World Series title with the Yankees, which not everybody can do, managers Darren Boone. And um, so I was perfectly fine with that signing for Philadelphia. It just didn't work. Yep. And there's sometimes it comes to a point where like there's a point of pride. Well, we brought in this high-profile manager. You know, I mean, it was a weird, it was weird when LaRusa came back. A guy who's already in the Hall of Fame was out of the game for 10 years and had the greatest write-off in the sunset any manager could possibly have. What was, what was the last game you managed? Game seven of the World Series? I won it. Oh, wow. And there was no reason for him to come back. No. And not at all. You, and you could have even after the 2021 season when they won the division, say, Tony, you got another division under your title. You've, you've managed a team to the playoffs in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and 2020s. No one will ever match that. Here, you're the vice president of Beans and Franks or Franks and Beans or whatever title we give you. We need to get your This is just not going to work in the long haul. Everybody on the planet Earth knew that. Yeah. And instead, they stuck to their guns and, uh, you know, came up – way short but you saw how they responded when miguel cairo took over there was a, it was like a it was you could see there was a release yeah it uh and that you know the reason why tony Larusse, of course was was brought back was all because of jerry reinsdorf because of uh, you know he'll never admit it but a lot of wrongs that needed to be set correct uh, from the firing back in the mid 80s yeah. um you know, you read so many different articles that come out and, and a lot of different uh, and I don't even think it's a far stretch to say like conspiracy theories or anything. But the front office, the, no, they weren't all in lockstep, you know, general manager, oh, yeah. president of baseball operations. They wanted to go a different way, most likely the A.J. Hinch way uh, after the 2020 uh, season. But Reinsdorf, you know, pushed his man through and he had to convince Tony La Russa. You know, Bruce Bochy was the guy in waiting. If Tony LaRusso was going to say no again to Reinsdorf, Bruce Bochy was going to come in and manage the Sox in 2021. He convinced LaRusso, and, you know, he didn't do enough. I thought he would surround his buddy LaRusso with, you know, as many riches as he could. They went out and they got Liam Hendricks, but I really thought they just felt, you know, this is a turnkey-ready team. Uh, we've got all the talent. Look at the division. We should be able to, you know, cruise through this division for multiple years. And that wasn't the case. The team really, after the Sacks won the division in 2021, and then they were embarrassed by the Astros in the playoffs, 
they, you know, they didn't make any splashy moves in the offseason. And they came into this past season thinking it's going to be another cakewalk. Everybody's yeah. predicting us to, to win the division easily. We should steamroll through. And, and I think that's how they approached it. And they got punched in the mouth by Cleveland. Cleveland showed them this is how you make the most out of your opportunities. Well, beyond just beyond, uh, and I'm not going to, I'm not trying to tell you how to be a White Sox fan here, but beyond um, Cleveland, it was Minnesota in the first half of the season sure. who jumped yeah. ahead of first place because the White Sox were like, we're in first, it's April. Da, da. And then suddenly the Twins put the aft thrusters on. And they go, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then, they're, oh, but they'll fall to earth, they'll fall to earth. And yes, eventually Minnesota did fall back to earth. But it at that point, Cleveland, who had just been kind of hanging around, lurking around, got their act together with a young team and a young, you know, young pitching staff. They had the old-time manager in there, but was Francona always strikes me as he's willing to adapt to things a little better than La Russa is that Francona, again, I rooted for him like crazy when he was the Red Sox manager, remains my favorite manager of all time. You get the sense that he's less about analytics and the X's and O's and more about, hey, I got to deal with this. I, I have a clubhouse with Kurt Schilling and Manny Ramirez, and we were able to be to work together. You know, yeah, I, I don't know a ton about Francona, but he he strikes me as somebody that might listen to other opinions where mm -hmm. Larusa does not want to hear it. It's my well, way or the highway. Larusa's had books written about how brilliant he is. Yeah. You know, George F. Will wrote the book about like basically called the the, the greatest base. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as the great genius, and then the cover yeah. looked like the poster for a beautiful mind. You know. Yeah. Hey, I just made a pop culture reference from this century. I want some credit <laughs> yeah. from it. But yeah, the, he he operated as, you know, and, and even during press conferences, which were really bizarre, post-game pressers, oh, you know, boy, yeah. if you ask him, especially the, the classic moments this past season where he would intentionally walk a guy after getting two strikes on him, he would make you, as a journalist, ask, asking, asking the question, he would make you feel like you're an, a moron for asking that when it doesn't, that doesn't happen in baseball. And even after a day or so of thinking about it, LaRusso would double down when asked again. It, it just, he would not own up to mistakes and it was a bad situation. And let me, let me just make, I can't believe I have to put this little uh, caveat on this. LaRusso's a Hall of Fame manager, yeah. as well he should be. His heyday was incredible, absolutely incredible. He was the smartest manager. He was a revolutionary manager, and he did great things with Chicago in the 80s, with Oakland in the 80s and 90s, with St. Louis in the 2000s and 2010s. Nobody is taking that away from him at all. But sometimes it is you take a decade away from the game mm -hmm. the game evolves in your in your absence you yeah. know i mean and I, the type not, of players that the white Sox had it just wasn't a good it, it, was, it, it wasn't a good fit your previous your your predecessors had locked on white Sox. i don't mean to stun you but there was someone hosting this before you they were <laughs> they were guests on the show and i had said if you had made a venn diagram of all the worst possibilities for a White Sox manager, the centerpiece would be Tony La Russa. Uh, yeah. Now, again, they could have saved face at the end of the 2021 season 
with a division. Hey, you got you got you got a first place finish. You won that. You came back and you won a division. Now it's time to you know they could have saved face. Instead, we got this. Hey, we're with. Yeah. Uh, well, I just want to. We're going to go in our final little segment. I didn't mean to cut you there. We're no, with Nick Morawski of Locked On White Sox. I did want to bring this thing up here. Um, uh, I do uh, Mondays. I cross over with Locked On Diamondbacks every week, and Miller Thomas, the host of that show, and I. We have a meeting before each show saying, here's the topics. We kind of like organize it like, um, pardon the interruption. Um, and, or, or you know, yeah, pardon the interruption anyway. Um, and we're saying, okay. And one of the topics I wrote for this Monday, this Monday, late, there was the, 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 what, the 17th, I think, of November is why haven't the White Sox hired a manager? And he said, they have. And I said, what are you talking about? And he forwarded me the article of Griffal, right? Mm-hmm. Griffal, yeah. Griffal, yeah. And holy cow, did that slip past my, like, how did that slip past me? That they that they did. I mean, because it was one of the most uh, uninspiring hires uh, in recent memory. <laughs> I, mean, I, I was like, yeah. And I looked at it and said, like, um, I think I remember that name in passing quickly. But he was he was part of the the Royals coaching staff when they went back to back pennants. And I I, yeah. I, I he, look at he may turn out to be uh the second coming of John McGraw. Um the I I I I and I'm can people put away your drinks? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bring up the thing I always bring up whenever manager or candidates are there. Um, I, I I don't understand why you don't hire someone with at least minor league managing experience. Um, but do you want at least it wasn't a recycling of a like you know like a Jim Riggleman or someone just another well, one of those. It was close. I mean, Ozzie Guillen was up there. He had. He I, had I know. Two I couldn't interviews. believe it. he had. Yeah. He had two interviews, and uh, you know, it, it. It was a hey. Everything you read about Pedro Grifol, from what Salvi Perez says to you know what Ned Yost has said, and other people in the Royals organization, nothing but amazing comments. This guy mm-hmm. is prepared. This guy knows what he's doing. He's going to get a team ready. He is going to help you know younger players. He could very well do all of those things, and the Sox players could buy into his, you know, analytical speech, his analytic, uh, you know, talk, his sabermetric stuff. Um, but you know, it seemed like a very we're going to be rebuilding, and this is the guy we want to kind of help us uh, bridge the gap until we're actually in contention. The Sox are very much still in contention, you know, yeah. even if they don't make any moves, which it won't be surprising. Unfortunately, they've got a ton of talent on this team and in the AL central, they could recapture uh, the division title. Um, I, I just, it, it, for me, I, I was hoping that it was going to be a manager that had some recent experience or at least, was a bench coach like a uh, Quattraro, I think, is who the Royals actually hired, who came from a successful organization, in my mind, uh, the Rays. You know, mm-hmm. why Espada didn't work out in the interview process, I don't know. Um, Espada's from Houston, right? Yeah. Yeah, here's what I think. I think with Espada, I think they've whispered to him, 
Dusty's only going to be here for a couple more years. Oh, sure. This, yeah. This is, you know, we're going to keep this, you know, hang around here, maybe win a ring or two, and then we'll just want to seamlessly move it over to there. Um, yeah. All right. All right, everyone, get your drinks out. Get your shot glasses out. I am going to say it again because um, I always bring up Bruce Bochy's lieutenants, uh, Hensley Mullins and Roberto Kelly. Uh, Roberto Kelly especially has international managing experience, and they have been on the coaching staff of multiple World Series championships and are revered and loved. Hensley Bam Bam Mullins is revered and loved. Um, I, I don't understand why they can't get past the interview process. Uh, the guy, I never understood why Chris Chambliss couldn't get a job as a manager either because all he did was be part of championship coaching staffs and being a manager of the year in the minor leagues over and over again. There's just some people going, do you not interview well? What the hell is going on here? So let, let me ask you a, a name that Sox fans talk a lot about. And you might, you know, you might have heard things through maybe the Cleveland circuits, but Sandy Alomar Jr., like why oh, yeah. does I, he just not want to be a manager? I don't know. I, I think he, he has, I think in the past, because he was the interim manager at Cleveland for a little bit, and he kind of filled in when Francona was injured or had health issues. And then I think Brad Mills also did. I don't know. I mean, he strikes me again. Francona has been managing since the Cretaceous period, so I I I don't know how many more years he's he's yeah. also had health issues yeah. beyond the fact his age. He's had health issues, so I don't know how many more years uh, Francona has. I mean, this may be a situation that like they could have whispered to to Sandy saying, "Hey." When, when, if Tito leaves, this is, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, uh, it's it just, uh, you know, according to Rick Hahn, if you're going to believe him, our general manager, there were maybe 30 candidates and they boiled it down to, uh, maybe eight. And again, like that's the guy, Pedro Grafol. No disrespect to him and his baseball resume, but that's the guy after this big search you finally did, which we haven't done. And, you know, mind you, Grafol is the first outside of the organization hire since Gene Lamont in 1992. So this is the guy that you're, you're going with. Okay, it's just a little surprising. Here's, here's where I'm going to be in his defense. I had a similar reaction when, uh, the, when the Braves brought Snitker in as to be their manager. This is who you're bringing in, this guy? What the hell is going on? It's this minor league guy, like, you know, this is who you're going to hand the car keys to? And he's turned into uh, one of the best managers in baseball and has led the Braves to a World Series title and to one of their best regular seasons in their history. So, I, you know, he may he, he may be just a, a baseball guy that, that they need. I mean, I don't know. And, I mean, and, it, and it, I think it's it, it, it beats it beats having it beats bringing in like I heard rumors are like, well, hire Jim Tomei. Like, oh, that, oh my that'd goodness, be Robin Ventura, uh, yeah. Robin Ventura, 100%. Percent. Uh, it would have been a here's a guy that the fans won't turn their back on because we have no clue what we're doing right now. So let's just put in uh, this guy. No, like? it, yeah. What what I think will help Grafol is, and, and I think it's trending this way, is he could bring in his own coaching staff. We've already heard that Charlie Montoya is going to be his bench coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, rumors of Chris Johnson, the AAA uh, hitting coach, he's going to be the new hitting coach. There should be a new third base coach. I mean, he's able to surround himself, I think, with with his people. Uh, I hope a team of rivals that will challenge his thinking, make him better. Uh, and he has said, you know, Grafol has said, which I love, if I'm the smartest person in the room, then there are problems. So that that is a refreshing take from what we've had previously. 
Yeah, because Tony LaRusso would go to Caltech and walk around and say, I'm the smartest person. <laughs> right. You know, right. just ask him. I'm the smartest right. person. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, again, he could be, he could be great. He could be exactly what this team needs. Uh, the sacks have a lot of holes that they need to figure out this off season and players just need to buy into what Grafol is selling them. And it has to happen immediately. Well, I'm buying what Nick Murawski is selling me as you are the proud hosts of locked on white Sox. And oh, and by the way, thanks so much for making locked on. And will be your first listen today. Make your second listen be Locked on White Sox. But how about your third listen? Keep listening to the Locked on Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most, the biggest stories in sports, including the hiring of the White Sox manager. I missed that episode. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights that only Locked on can provide. Locked on Sports Today is available on this app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nick, where can people listen to your show? Uh, they could find Locked On White Sox again, absolutely everywhere. Uh, you know, we're also got our YouTube channel. Just search uh, Locked On uh, White Sox. I'm on Twitter at Nick underscore GGTV, and uh, Locked On White Sox is on Twitter at Locked On Sox. Yep, and you can follow us at Locked On MLB Pods on Twitter and on Instagram. And as long as Twitter hasn't exploded, I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter and on Instagram which seems to be pretty secure these days. I'm at Sully Baseball Podcast and a Mastodon. I can't figure out what the heck to do there. You got to sign up for a server and then log on to this and then hashtag that. No, heck with that. I'm going back to writing postcards. This has been the post-Thanksgiving edition of Locked On MLB with a Locked On White Sox crossover. Nick Morowski, I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. <laughs>